Welcome to the All Things Nintendo podcast. I'm Brian Shea from Game Informer, and this is a weekly podcast to discuss all the biggest news and games from the world of Nintendo. We can finally talk about one of the early games from Nintendo in 2024 this week. So that's going to be our main segment. We are going to give our preview of Mario vs. Donkey Kong. And joining me for that is Game Informer's Charles Hart. Charles, how are you doing? I am doing great. I'm, I'm feeling like I got the last mini Mario at the toy store. Oh, well, that, that, I mean, Donkey Kong must be jealous because if you've seen that opening cutscene, he is pining for some mini Mario toys. <laughs> yeah, if he was like me, that game would not exist. Uh, fortunately, he did not get the last one, so that game exists. <laughs> well, we will get into your early impressions of that game in the main segment, but you know how we do here. We're going to start off with some news. And uh, counter to what you said last week, where you're like, well, every time I'm on, there's always a bunch of news. We don't have a ton of news this week, but we do have some talkers. Okay. And the biggest news for Nintendo, I think, out of this week probably didn't come from Nintendo. It came from Universal. And we already knew that Super Nintendo World was planned to open in 2025 at Universal's Epic Universe in Orlando. And we got our first official details this week. So Epic Universe is this huge theme park that Universal is putting together in Orlando, Florida. And it's going to feature five worlds based on different brands. I mean, some of, I guess some of them are <laughs> based on different brands because uh, basically we, what, the way they structured out, I watched this video that they put out and you enter through this archway known as Kronos. And it's meant to be kind of like <laughs> this gateway to like the different universes. Like that's okay. what it kind of symbolizes. And the first one you enter is kind of like the hub world. This is the one that's not based on any brand. It's called Celestial Park. And it has shopping and different rides. Like there's like a a, a racing roller coaster, which looks kind of cool. And then there's like Ooh. this this innovative like carousel where it's like the there's like multiple things spinning in it, it looks like. There's like a lot of like upscale dining as how they're pitching it. And uh some cool shops. And I mean, if there's anything like the other Universal Studios parks that I've been to, it's just gonna be like Here's like a, a promenade with a few shops and a few restaurants, but mm -hmm. um, it does seem like they're doing some other cool stuff. Like I said, the rides are there. Um, there's a massive hotel that they say is integrated into the park, which seems pretty neat. Oh, um, and so from there, you can go to the other four worlds in Epic Universe. So the first one they talked about was How to Train Your Dragon, Isle of Burke. Are you a How to Train Your Dragon guy? Uh, I, I like the movies. I'm not uh, intensely a fan. My brother is a huge fan, uh, mainly because he's like a, a, a score, like a music score nerd. Okay. And he loves those soundtracks. Well, you're, you're a bit of a music nerd yourself. You uh, We were talking before we got onto this, uh, this episode that you always do – you write song parodies for your lunches before you go on break at Game Informer. This is true. <laughs> Um, I should come up with – I got to watch these movies again and see what they eat. And then I can do a How to Train Your Dragon specific lunch song. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, it would be lost on me because I've never seen – outside <laughs> of like commercials, I haven't seen a second of How to Train Your Dragon. And I think it's just – I was a little bit too old to be like the target demographic yeah. when they came out. It's like I'm, I'm currently watching uh, – this. I mean maybe this is your, your – maybe this is your age group. I'm currently watching the new Disney Plus Percy Jackson and the Olympians yeah. series. And I know people in like their early to mid 20s are just bananas over those original movies. Like they think like that's like 
kind of like how like Spider-Man, like the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies were for me. That is kind of <laughs> well, like what, what they were for them. With Percy Jackson, it's the books. Okay. There's, there's, there are two Percy Jackson movies based on the books, but kind of famously uh, the author, Rick Riordan, like wrote a letter about how like he gave the rights to it and they paid him and he consulted on it. And then it turned into this thing where it was like not at all what he wanted. Um, so the movies are kind of like taboo. I, I, I think I enjoyed them when I was like 11 because I didn't really process what was going on. And now I'm like, oh, that's not like the books at all. Um, so I think that's part of the reason the show is so exciting is because this is nothing to do with Nintendo. So I really don't no, need no, to go good. I brought answers, it up. But, um, that's why the show is exciting is it's like a proper adaptation of the source material that people are excited about. Yeah, from um, what I've heard, like the it, the show itself has been extremely faithful to the the books, which I'm, I'm enjoying the show. I'm yeah, I think I'm four episodes deep in it, and like at, at first I was like, okay, I I just don't get this at all. Like uh, it, it seems fine, but it's not for me. But now I'm like the story's picking up, and I'm I'm I I, I told myself I was only going to watch one episode last night, and then I was like I. Wish I didn't make that promise to myself. I want to watch more dive stuff too. Um, but yeah, so it, it the way you described it almost reminds me of Harry Potter for my generation. Yes, it is very much. So, I, I read the Harry Potter books and then read the Percy Jackson books. Um, and I think I, I connected more to Percy Jackson because it was like coming out when I was a kid. Sure. Yeah. Whereas Harry Potter was coming out when I was a kid. And of yeah. course, I bounced off that as well. So but anyway, <laughs> that's you a good wish. segue because the Wizarding World of Harry Potter Ministry of Magic is the other the next world that they talked about. And I guess it's going to be even further beyond the Wizarding World of Harry Potter that they have at the other Universal Studios parks, which I've been to the one in Osaka and the one in Hollywood, or I guess it's just LA. It's Universal City, technically. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, those are both pretty cool. I've gotten butterbeer at both of those. Um, what, how, how is butter? Is it? I've always imagined it just tastes like cream soda. But it is know. just cream soda. I think they might have some <laughs> okay. like additional like little tiny flavors in it, but it is very much just cream soda. So don't okay. think that you're missing anything aside from like you get to walk around in Hogwarts with a cream soda. Yeah. yeah That's yeah, basically yeah. what it is. <laughs> um, but the, the Ministry of Magic looks pretty cool. They're doing some uh, some stuff. I, I, again, I have not read there. I, I bounced off that first book when I was in middle school or whenever it was that came out. Um, and I'm trying to watch the movies eventually. But uh, just to have some sort of understanding of that cultural phenomenon. But uh, yeah, it looks like it's they're, they're going further than they did with um, the other Wizarding Worlds of Harry Potter. And they are going to end up having um, like things from both the Fantastic Beasts and the original Harry Potter yeah. stuff. So it's like kind of the entire timeline, which I guess is pretty neat. Yeah, that'll um, be I, I don't know any like diehard fantastic beasts fans yeah, i don't but... think there are any <laughs> but i think it's people who are were harry potter fans and they're just like i want more in this universe okay yeah. i guess this is fine if if you're out there this is for you <laughs> uh the next world is one that actually i was not expecting called dark universe Yes. So you may remember the Dark Universe announcement being one of the great, like, <laughs> this is going to be a huge cinematic universe. And there's this infamous picture of all these stars, including Tom Cruise and uh, I forget who else is even in it. But like all Johnny these, Depp's there. Yeah, Johnny Depp. I don't think any of them were in the same room when they took that picture. I think they <laughs> photoshopped and pieced that picture yeah. together. 
Um, but that was supposed to be like the next big cinematic universe after Marvel and DC. And then it just, the, the first mummy movie came out starring Tom Cruise and it just all fell apart, but they are bringing back the characters from that. So like, you know, Frankenstein's monster and, uh, Dracula and all these other like infamous monster movie characters that are going to, it's going to be its own world in Epic universe, which seems very cool. Like I went, when I was in Osaka for uh, the street fighter six cover story for game informer, we, Alex Van Aken and I took a day to go to universal studios to check out super Nintendo world primarily, but we were there for so long that night came around and this was in October of mm. 2022. So all of like the scary stuff started coming out. Like, cause what, what happens around Halloween at universal studios is like the, like the bunch of actors and like different like costumed characters come out for like Halloween stuff. And like, I remember walking through like the Jurassic park area and it was like Ooh. all these, like it wasn't even dinosaurs. I thought it was going to be dinosaurs. It was like <laughs> ancient Egypt, like mythology. <laughs> it was like, wait, what? Oh. but it was very cool to see like these, like, uh, like Egyptian gods walking around and like in like very scary and gory ways. And then like got to the other part and it was like kind of like zombies like and it, that, that made sense because there was a Resident Evil exhibit going on, or not exhibit, mm. but like a, a experience that you could go into. Uh, but yeah, Dark Universe—they have a lot of potential that they could do some some really cool stuff there. And then there's the reason that we're talking about this in the first place because Super Nintendo World, complete with the Donkey Kong Country area, is the final world in this. And I have talked about the the experience of going to both the Osaka one and the one in LA and it's just magical and I hope that this one's closer to the Osaka one than it is the LA one because the LA one is it's such little land and space mm-hmm. they have that it just feels too compact it's missing the Yoshi ride uh, it's not multi-tiered the way that the one in Osaka is so I'm hoping that because Florida has a lot more space to build on then mm-hmm. and they're they're building it as a whole new park, I'm hoping that they budgeted the space properly that they're one, they have enough space to deliver the experience that Osaka is able to deliver. But two, I'm hoping that they've budgeted space to expand eventually, because if we're getting the Mario and Donkey Kong areas, I'm really hopeful that there's going to be a legend of Zelda area. Like we talked about this recently about how Eiji Aonuma was spotted alongside Shigeru Miyamoto in Orlando at the construction site for super Nintendo world. So it would stand a reason that maybe Zelda would be next, or maybe just AJ Onuma wanted to go to a construction site and watch a theme park. <laughs> but it would be very cool to see them like start with what we already have at other destinations and then slowly expand into like Zelda or I don't even know, like even like something cool. Like they, Nintendo cannot for the life of them figure out what to do with Star Fox. A Star Fox <laughs> ride yes. would rule. Like, that would be so cool. But, uh, I mean, is Zelda the, the next logical step for you for uh, Super Nintendo World if they do end up having room to expand at this location? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I hope they have room to expand in general because I just think there, there's so much there that for them to not, like, capitalize on as, as much of the IP as possible, I think, would be a shame. I think Zelda's definitely my next choice. I feel like I could see, like, a Splatoon area being kind of cool. That would um, be cool. Not even that I'm, I think we talked about it last time. I, I haven't like played a ton of Splatoon, but I think the aesthetic would be really cool and like a, a space to exist in. I could also see like, you know, uh, like an Animal Crossing, like 
Mart section. Really, what really what I want here's what I want from a Nintendo World is I want like an Epcot, but it's all Nintendo zones. Oh, so that would like be a cool. Big circle, and you can go around and do all the different like this is Donkey Kong, this is you know Zelda, whatever. I mean, I want those to get like proper full full spaces, but I think that would rock. So rank those worlds in terms of how excited you would be to visit them. Because Universal, in this video, they were like, well, we hope people will come and just spend an entire week at Epic Universe because they can just do one world per day. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, I don't know if, like, all, like, I've gone, like I said, I've gone to the other Universal Studios, and I spent a full day the first time I went to Super Nintendo World in Osaka. I spent an entire day there. Like, it was barely enough time for other stuff. Yeah. Like, I think I was there from, like, 2 p.m. until, like, 8 p.m., 9 p.m., like, the, the sun was it went from being very, very strong and, and burning us both to being completely gone in nighttime. And, uh, you know, that was magical. But like uh, Wizarding World of Harry Potter, I went there for like maybe an hour and I was like, I think I'm good. But of course, mm-hmm. again, I'm not the target demographic for that. But they, they think people are going to go here for an entire week. That's the hope. I mean, maybe they they'll pull something off because they're able to build with intention from the very beginning it's not just add-ons to their existing parks right but uh rank these one to five so it's celestial park how to train your dragon dark universe harry potter and nintendo world um number five i'm probably gonna say dark universe just because i'm not really a horror guy i think i just think it's not specifically for me then i'm gonna say how to train your dragon because i like that but i haven't seen him in a while then probably Harry Potter, mainly because I am kind of interested in what Celestial Park is. I'm going to put that at number two because I feel like I'm curious to see what that looks like. Like when you can just be creative and be like, welcome to our magical world. Like, I I don't know. I feel like the only I'm thinking like how iconic Magic Kingdom is at Disney and how like that that stands on its own. I want to see what Celestial Park does. And then, I mean, number one, can you imagine I said something else on the, on the <laughs> podcast? So Super Nintendo World. I mean, you can say whatever you want on this podcast. You could say Super no. Nintendo World is your least exciting, but I think that... Definitely it, not. From my I've never experience, been, too. It, so. it is the one that deserves the number one spot. I mean, who knows? Maybe How to Train Your Dragon Isle of Burke is going to be amazing and blow my socks off, even though I've never really <laughs> paid attention to that franchise. But they could probably do some really cool stuff. I've heard great things about it. But yeah, Celestial Park is the wild card here, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm kind of interested in the fact that it's a wild card. Um, but they even yeah. got Steven Spielberg to come on the trailer and talk about the park and like how it's like so immersive and everything, which... Is uh, interesting because, uh, you know, I, I guess they were like, hey, like, we know you're doing an interview for the or we're, we're shooting something for you for this other movie that you're working on. How about you just talk about this theme park? It's, it's probably <laughs> yeah. the equivalent of like, yeah, we have this interview with this legend. It's like when I when I have interviews with like A.G. Numa and it's like, yeah, we're talking about Tears of the Kingdom. And then like, I throw in a few Ocarina of Time questions as well, because, of yeah. Course. I think that's probably what they did with him. It probably wasn't like, hey, come shoot this new thing for us talking about this theme park. It was probably talking about something else. And they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, can you do a quick promo for our theme park? Yeah, yeah. But uh, we don't know when exactly it's opening, but it's set for some time in 2025. And I think that for me, it's it probably goes Super Nintendo World 1, Dark Universe 2, Celestial Park 3, 
How to Train Your Dragon four, and then Harry Potter five. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, just because I've I've done the Harry Potter thing before, and even as not a fan, it 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 was it was neat enough. But like, I, they would have to do something really different and really like beyond yeah. what they did for me to be like, oh, I'm so excited to go to that. But that is, uh, I think, probably the biggest news in Nintendo's uh, orbit for this week, anyway. But. The hope is that we're going to get a Nintendo Direct pretty soon. Like a lot of people are speculating February. There's a rumor even going around that it's going to be next week, which would be nice because I don't Ooh. we don't have like a, a big release to talk about next week. So <laughs> that would be nice to be able to be like, oh, that sorts that episode. But um, we're still in a holding pattern for that first Nintendo Direct of 2024. But we did get a PlayStation State of Play earlier this week. And during that stream, we mostly saw just you know, PlayStation games, as you'd imagine. But there were a couple of announcements of games coming to Switch. The first one is one that's been on Switch. It was Dave the Diver. And this, you know, this was the announcement was like, oh, it's coming to PlayStation. So that doesn't really concern us. And it wasn't explicitly stated that this extra little tidbit that they threw on on the end of this announcement uh, is coming to other platforms. But it's presumed, I think. It's Godzilla DLC for Dave the Diver. And basically, it just shows Godzilla emerging from the water, and we don't really see much else. But uh, it looks really cool. It got, it's uh, Godzilla's like having a moment right now. He really is. Good for like, him. <laughs> have you seen Godzilla minus one or minus zero or whatever? It's, have, what is it called? I think it's minus one. Minus one? Okay. Um, I always want to say minus zero, but I don't think that makes sense. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen it. I haven't, I'm not a, I haven't seen any Godzilla movies before. Not that I'm not interested. It's just never been a... a a thing i need to go i haven't been to the theater in a while is the other thing there's like yeah. four or five movies i've been meaning to see um but yeah i've heard i mean i've heard universal claim for that i've heard people that are like i don't even like kaiju movies and i love this movie that's yeah. like one of the best movies i've seen in years and i'm so bummed i've not had a chance to get to the theater because everybody says that like oh this is one you need to see in theaters kind of like the first avatar movie where everybody was like yeah, it's fine, but if you see it in theaters, it's amazing. Yeah, this sure, one, people yeah. are like singing the praises of it and saying that you need to see it in theaters. So, while I have a pretty good like home like entertainment system, I really need to go see that. But uh, this Godzilla DLC comes to Dave the Diver in May, and I think that's going to be just in time for kind of the Godzilla fervor to die down a little bit. But isn't there like another Godzilla movie coming out in like very short order, like God- Godzilla and Kong? Oh, Godzilla versus Kong, maybe? Well, I don't yeah. think it's Godzilla versus. I think they're teaming up this time. I oh, think the I think last one right. was Godzilla versus Kong. And now it's like Godzilla and <laughs> okay. Kong. Uh, oh, it's okay. It's Godzilla X Kong, the new empire. Oh, boy. Um, so God- Godzilla cross Kong, I think oh is how gosh. it's pronounced. It comes out on my birthday, March oh, 29th. Wow. Okay, so it's going to sustain the Godzilla hype, given yeah. that it's good, on into uh, May, because that'll be probably right around the time that's leaving theaters. And then you'll be able to play the Godzilla DLC in Dave the Diver in May, presumably coming to Switch. We don't know yet. But. I'm imagining it is because why would they make all this DLC and only have it be exclusive to PlayStation? But yeah. uh, so looking forward to that because I I love Dave the Diver. Um, but speaking of things cross other things, Sonic Generations came out in 2011. Did you end up playing this game? Oh, yeah. This is my uh, I haven't played a ton of Sonic games, but this is like one of my favorites. I think this is probably the best Sonic game I've played. Um, I think I usually say my favorite is Sonic and the Black Knight just because it's funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I have I have very fond memories of this game. It's also the way I like know the song Escape the City because it's like a highlight reel of 
all like the these best Sonic levels throughout the years. So I feel like me playing that game has allowed me to stay in the Sonic conversation. Um, so yes, well, I'm very excited. I'm very excited because uh, this was one of my favorites from that era as well. And it was originally released to celebrate the 25th anniversary. We are coming up on the 35th anniversary now. Ooh. And uh, yeah, I'm feeling very old. But the state of play, <laughs> I mean, they've, they've been slowly putting out these kind of remasters on modern platforms. They did Sonic Colors a few years ago. They did Sonic Origins, which was the compilation of the Genesis games and, and Sonic CD uh, a couple years ago. And the state of play showed Sonic Generations footage. And, you know, this was this was leaked. So a lot of people in like with their that were in the know with the Sonic community knew what was coming. But in the middle of a cutscene, classic and modern Sonic, who are the main characters or the only playable characters in the original Sonic Generations, are intercepted by none other than Shadow the Hedgehog. What? And it's called Sonic Cross Shadow Generations. And uh, it's a full remaster. So you have 2D Sonic, which, which does like the, or classic Sonic, who does the 2D gameplay style. Modern Sonic does the 3D gameplay style. And for people who aren't aware, what it does was it, it was celebrating the 20th anniversary of Sonic. And in doing so, it took classic levels from a different Sonic game. So like you played Green Hill Zone from Sonic 1 and Chemical Plant Zone from Sonic 2. And uh, Sky Sanctuary from Sonic and Knuckles. I'm trying to go through from memory here what, what, <laughs> what levels were in it. And all the way up until the most recent Sonic games. And it remade those levels in modern visuals. And what you do is on for there's two acts for each each zone. And so like Green Hill Zone, the first one you play is as 2D classic Sonic. And it's in modern modern graphics and modern physics and everything. And then it the next act is as modern Sonic and you play Green Hill Zone in 3D, which was very cool. I like that idea a lot. And, um, you know, you go all the way up and you're up until modern games. I think the most recent one at that point was uh, Sonic Unleashed. Mm-hmm. So I think there was a Sonic Unleashed level as well, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe they skipped that one. But I know there was a Sonic 06 level because that was I was like, this game was really good until this point, because even with like the hindsight and like the lessons they learned from that, the Sonic 06 level still was bad. <laughs> um, so yeah, this one brings all that forward. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be 60 frames per second on Switch. I know if you play the Xbox 360 version on Xbox Series X, it gets 60 frames per second already. So if you go and like, like I own it digitally, and if I play that on my Xbox Series X, I get 60 frames per second. It, it is a much better experience if you play that on a Series X. That's a pro tip right there. But uh, this version apparently is going to have uh, you know a lot of modern like frame rate and everything. So that's something to look forward to. But the thing you can't get on the the Xbox Series X version is uh, sh- or, uh, the Xbox 360 version playing on Xbox Series X. Uh, Shadow is a new playable character in this version. So that is going to have new content. Um, so new levels, boss fights, presumably story content. In the trailer, we saw uh, Space Colony Arc, which was from Sonic Adventure 2. We saw the Doom's Eye alien from Shadow the Hedgehog, which <laughs> did not think they were going to acknowledge that. But then again, they acknowledged Sonic 06 in the original. Um, and then uh, the Bio Lizard looks like a boss battle from Sonic Adventure 2, which is uh, good stuff. And it's coming to... F- switch and pretty much every other console so xbox series x uh xbox one playstation 5 playstation 4 
PC and uh, yeah, Switch on in fall 2024. So very much looking forward to that. Are you going to revisit this? Absolutely. Um, I, I'm honestly, it's a game I didn't ever think they would go back to, um, just because it's already like a remaster of things. But I guess Sonic's <laughs> reputation the last few years has has been uh, uh, reviving the same few games over and over again. Um, I did look it up, by the way. Uh, uh, Sonic Generations gets up to Sonic Colors. Okay. So there's a Planet Wisp in that game. Which, that, that made sense at that point, because Sonic Colors was a Wii exclusive at that point. I mean, up until just a few years ago, it was stuck on the Wii. Yeah. So that was, that was a smart move to bring a little bit of that and be like, hey, there's probably this game that you may not have played if you don't... I mean, because this didn't come... Uh, did it? Did Sonic Generations come to Wii? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think it did. I have the Wikipedia up here, and it does not say Wii. There it, was like a, yes. a 3DS version, yeah. But it was very different. I think it was all all different levels too. I wish they would put those out. Like I wish that all of the. Uh, I wish this was like a kind of master compilation because there was also like I think it was PC exclusive DLC for because oh. they, they went from Sonic One to Sonic Two and then to Sonic and Knuckles. But they skipped Sonic 3, which was an interesting move because a lot of people consider that the best entry. Uh-huh. And there were theories that like it was because of like the soundtrack and everything. And like mm. they, they couldn't even like use the the music or anything. But they uh they did put Casino Night, if I'm not mistaken, from Sonic 3 in the Steam version. And it was like an exclusive DLC that you could buy. <laughs> Gotcha. So I've never played that version. I do own Sonic Generations on Steam, and I, I tried to play it on my Steam Deck, and it was like, you need to install this. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I played it on Xbox. Yeah, I think I, I think I also have it on Steam because I was like, maybe I'll come back to this, and then didn't feel like uh, fighting the Steam Deck to make it work. Yeah, that's the only one that has like given me problems trying to run something on, on my Steam Deck so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but on top of that, we also got an announcement that uh, to celebrate Shadow coming to Sonic or uh, Sonic Cross Shadow Generation. I always want to say Shadow <laughs> Cross Sonic Generations because Sonic mm. Generations makes sense. Yeah, but yeah, Sonic yeah. Cross Shadow Generations to celebrate that announcement. Sega is putting Shadow in Sonic Superstars as a free DLC costume. So that's fun. That's very cool. I did ask uh sonic team creative officer takashi izuka about why shadow is not in sonic generations and uh i'm bringing up the quote right here this was back in july of 2023 so this is outdated at this point but uh he said quote shadow is from the modern series of characters and gameplay that we have introduced the classic series exists before the modern series, so they haven't met at that time. There's no relationship, so we won't be bringing Shadow into the classic series. Interesting. Unfortunately, Shadow was in a capsule at that time. <laughs> so I, I think that this is a smart way to circumvent that, though, because it's just like, oh, yeah, it's just like an optional DLC skin that you can throw yeah. on Sonic if you want. Um, but that's interesting. I'm, I, I'm, they haven't released any looks at that, but I'm curious to see how he looks in the the uh sonic superstars style yeah but did, did you ever check out sonic superstars i forget if i asked you i did i think i think it cemented my uh stance that the 2d sonic games are not for me um not that i 
think they're bad. I just think I've never understood how I'm supposed to play them. Um, and I, my introduction was the, the 3D games. Um, so those have always made more sense to me. Yeah, that but, makes sense yeah. for, for people younger than myself. People who were not around in the 90s. That yeah. makes sense. Um, I would recommend if you do really want to put your the, the 2D Sonic being for you or not to the test, go check out either Sonic Mania or mm-hmm. Sonic Origins and uh, play Sonic 3 and Knuckles from start to finish. Sure. I mean, those I are both pretty pretty quick plays as well. So like those are the two best ones that I would say like to check out if you Sonic Superstars was very hit or miss for me. Sure, sure. I think when I when I played Sonic Generations, I think I played it with my my neighbor who had come over and he played all the 2D parts and I played all the 3D parts. <laughs> well, the, the other thing about like the 2D Sonic games is in like all of the the titles that do kind of like hey, it's modern sonic game but there's 2d sequences the 2d platforming is not as good or as tight as it was in like the dedicated 2d games like when you play sonic mania it feels so much better than when you do the 2d sequences in like sonic forces because that came out like (laughs) months apart from each other yeah and it's like whenever the camera turned to the the side i was like wow this feels so much worse than it did in a game that i played just like two months ago in sonic sonic mania so like it was really a stark contrast in that but um yeah those are the those are the ones i would recommend checking out if you do want to really put like is are are 2d sonic games for me to the test yeah yeah mania or sonic 3 and knuckles um but you know speaking of remakes which i would argue sonic generations kind of is it's like a remake compilation we're finally in the month charles of final fantasy 7 rebirth oh my most anticipated game of 2024 so far but that's not coming to a nintendo console And what also is not coming to a Nintendo console (laughs) is apparently a remake of Final Fantasy VI because there was an interview, you know, Yoshinori Kitase, who is this legend who's been with Final Fantasy since the, I think, late 80s, early 90s. uh, And Naoki Hamaguchi, who is the director of the Final Fantasy VII remake series, they've been doing the media rounds. I met with them recently. And in addition to the cover story a few months ago, I actually got to meet with them again uh, a couple weeks ago and, uh, and say hello. And they were doing a French YouTuber, an interview with a French YouTuber named Julien Kiese. And they, Julian asked them about is like, is there going to be a remake of Final Fantasy VI? And Kitase said that it would be, it it would be an even bigger project than Final Fantasy VII Remake. Mm -hmm. And he's sad that he can't say it's going to happen. Like he wishes he could answer in the affirmative, but he's bummed out that he can't. Do you think that VI is the Final Fantasy that most needs the remake treatment after the VII Remake? That's a good question. I uh, I feel like from what I understand about 6 versus 7, like 7's kind of rough to look at now, like the original 7. Yeah. I, I feel like part of the beauty of the remakes is that it kind of revitalizes it into like a more palatable form. And I, I think 6 is like art style, at the very least, has stood up pretty well. Um, I, think, I think also... <laughs> uh, uh, there's so many Final Fantasy games that not doing that one doesn't break my heart, but I know it is a lot of people's favorite. Um, but yeah, I would yeah. say like eight or nine, probably. I don't know. A lot of people are saying nine as their pick. I would, I mean, when I met with them recently, I 
told them about how because you know when I when I wrote the cover story, I, I we got into the making of Final Fantasy VII remake, and the story behind it was you know Yoshinori Kitase was on the U.S. media tour back in two thousand nine for Final Fantasy thirteen. And all of the U.S. media kept saying, hey, are you going to do a remake of Final Fantasy VII? Are you going to do a remake of Final Fantasy VII? And then when he came back, he went and talked to Tetsuya Nomura, also at Square Enix, uh, you know, the creator of Kingdom Hearts. He was He's worked on so many other Final Fantasy games. And Tetsuya Nomura also had that idea that he wanted to do a Final Fantasy VII remake. So they started the kind of the ball rolling in that regard. But he's like that. Katase was like, that's where kind of like the idea came from, from from my perspective was mm-hmm. all these U.S. media people kept asking me while I was on this tour for Final Fantasy 13, if we were going to do a remake of seven. And I ended my recent interview with them. I was like, hey, I really appreciate you telling me that story about how like U.S. media people kept asking you about Final Fantasy VII Remake. And that's ultimately what put the idea in your head. So with that in mind, when are you doing a Final Fantasy X Remake? And he, he, he just <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah. laughed. He didn't, I mean, he didn't give me any answer whatsoever. But that was how I ended my interview. <laughs> I did I did edit your uh, the Rapid Fire, which uh, listeners you can go find on YouTube. Rapid Fire with... Uh, the director of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Okay, Yamaguchi. Yeah, and you, I, the number of Final Fantasy X questions, I was like, this is very funny. Also, I know that you like it because you've tweeted about it a lot, but I did feel, I was like, I know he wants this. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I asked uh, I asked Hamaguchi-san about uh, 10-3 in that rapid fire, yeah. and he was just like, I'd like that. Yeah. I mean, what, else, what can he say? He's not the one yeah. who's making this decision, but like, you know, I asked him about, like, would a Final Fantasy mainline game ever come to a Nintendo console again. So yeah, go check that out. I mean, it's it's meant to be mostly humorous, but I think that was a, a fun interview. I always love doing those rapid fire interviews. I haven't really plugged that on this show. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Oh, yes. So are, are you a big Final Fantasy guy? I am not, but it's not for lack of trying. I think it's they're just so big and I feel like I'm, I'm always so intimidated by the series. But for some reason, I am... I'm always very interested in like people's rankings of things like this. Um, like I also, I've never seen a fast and furious movie, but I'm really obsessed with like people's <laughs> rankings of those movies. Cause I think the titles are so funny. We mentioned that I do uh, parody lunch songs every day. I, at my old job, I did my first like 12 or 13 days. It was all titles of fast and furious movies, but my, my first and last name. So it was Charles Hart to Charles to Hart, Charles Hart, Tokyo drift. <laughs> Anyways, it's Final Fantasy. When 16 came out, I gave it like a good try. I, I don't think uh, there's enough in that game that didn't really click with me, but I tweeted out and asked people their top five Final Fantasy games. And that was like really interesting to see. Like, I had no idea so many people cared about Final Fantasy 9. Um, oh, yeah. But I, I was expecting like 6 and 7 and 10. Um, and it was always funny to see, like, oh, this person said 15. Hardly anyone's favorite is fifteen. What's that about? And it was that was that was fun. So I think fifteen is underrated, to be honest. Like yeah. I really liked fifteen. I think the story. Uh, it, there's parts where it's very very rushed, and it's evident that Square Enix at one point was just like going to uh, Hajime Tabata, who was the director of that one, and being like, "Hey, we got to get this thing out the door because <laughs> because like there are parts where it's like, oh, we just completely forgot about this character and like yeah. this." <laughs> there's like weird like gaps and like jumps ahead in the story and uh but yeah overall i really like final fantasy 15 um, yeah i've i've played the the games I've, I've i've never finished a final fantasy game i've gotten like 20 hours in every time i start it i've played uh seven remake 20 hours 
15, probably like 10 hours, and then 16, which is like 20 hours. You've got to just finish 7 Remake because I feel like you're super close to finishing it if you're 20 hours deep. You'll probably only have like another like 10 hours. I, I probably was. I think it just, I don't know. I could give it another try. I think it, I just got bored with it. I think I, I could feel as someone who hadn't played the original that it felt like they were putting a lot of stuff in to stretch the story out. And the fact that it felt like I kept doing stuff and it wasn't really going anywhere was like kind of frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I, it also, not that I think I'm going to do it, but I, I wish I had played the original before I went and played that. Cause I think it would give me a greater appreciation for it. Sure. I think that, uh, you know, seven remake is fantastic and I'm so excited for, for rebirth later this month. But the, the downside is that there are no mainline Final Fantasy games on Switch past 12. And I'm pretty oh. sure that the 13 trilogy could run just fine on Switch. I don't know why yeah. those haven't made it over. They have, they also aren't on PlayStation. Um, they're backward compatible on Xbox. But it's just very weird that 13 has kind of been... They did three games of it, but they just kind of have like pushed it by the wayside. Um there's also the the mobile version of Final Fantasy 15. Uh, it's called Pocket Edition is on oh, yeah. Switch, which is very very strange. It's like kind of like chibi art style instead of like the more like photorealism look of 15. Yeah. Uh, again, I love 15, but I I tried playing the Pocket Edition. And I was like, this just feels silly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To like earnestly get into it through that version is would be fascinating to me. Yeah. I, I'd say that if you do want to check out, like if you're bummed about this news that Katase cannot answer in the affirmative that there's going to be a final fantasy six remake uh the pixel remaster series is on switch and while that's more of a, that's a i mean it's in the name it's a remaster uh it does bring final fantasy six which a lot of people consider the greatest turn-based rpg of all time forward into uh in, in into a modern platform with like kind of sharper visuals and there are people who have problems with it like some people really dislike the font of final fantasy six pixel remaster oh yeah um, and some like, but like, it's better than like, whatever the, the art style we got, I, I want to say it was like the steam re-release like eight or 10 years ago or something. Like it was like way too, like, I don't know. There was, there was a lot of controversy around that version, but I think this was like the more well-liked one and, uh, it's on switch. So you can go check that out at the pixel remaster is one through six. There's also the final fantasy seven, uh, remaster that is on, I think seven, eight and 7, 8, 9, 10, 10, 2 are all remastered on Switch. And then 12 has the Zodiac Age, which is kind of like the updated remaster where like they reworked like the job system and everything. I've heard it's it's actually a substantial improvement over the original 12. And a lot of people consider it the, the best way to play that. So mm-hmm. you can more than get your Final Fantasy fill if you're new to the series through Switch. But if you're wanting anything new, unfortunately, I think you're you're out of luck. So that is uh, that's the Final Fantasy hour that we just covered there. Uh, we'll we'll end on this as far as the news is concerned, uh, and it's another game that is not on Switch, but we're going to talk about it because the actual game is on Switch. Uh, you played Celeste, right? I did. I think I know what you're going to talk about, but yeah, I played I played Celeste. Uh, that came out. That was I think the spring of my senior year. Okay, so I played it on my Switch in study hall. Yeah, it's a very good 2D platformer. It came out in 2018, and it, it handles a lot of really uh, good like narrative themes, one being like mental health and anxiety, and I really appreciate that. And um, they're celebrating the sixth anniversary 
the the developer Maddie Makes Games, and they did it by making an N sixty four style game, and apparently development only lasted a week. Yeah, have you played it? No, it's called Celeste sixty four Fragments of the Mountain, well, and uh, I have played it. So you have? Whoa! Well. I was about to run down what it is, but it's just an homage <laughs> to those early kind of 3D platformers, as the name would indicate. But uh, talk to me about it. I, I did not play it yet. Yeah, I mean, it's really fun. I, I haven't played that much of it. I think I I thought maybe I'd be able to talk about it on the GI show. So I played it maybe like 20 minutes while I was waiting for everyone to get ready. But yeah, it's just this little like 3D platformer. I mean, it really has the N64 vibe and it's it's kind of like... I don't know, like a world in Mario 64 where you can just kind of explore around and find uh, they have strawberries instead of like power stars. Yeah. Um, and the music, I, I don't know who did it. I know Lena Rain did it in like the proper game. I don't know if she came back for this one, but the music is like really in that style. And whenever you get a strawberry, it does like a and it like does a freeze frame and stuff. And that's really fun. Yeah. And then there's also little cassette tapes hidden around, which if you played Celeste, you know that there's B-sides in there that you can find and they unlock like harder versions of the levels. Um, and you find the cassette tapes in this, then you get like these mini like challenge worlds. Um, and it's hard. And that's fitting because that's Celeste. Yeah, I so I didn't play it, but I did turn on a Let's Play on YouTube and it looks like to 100 percent it, it's less than two hours. Mm hmm. So it seems like it's a good time, and it looks like Celeste, but polygonal 3D instead of the kind of sprite-based 2D that we got with the original game. And like you said, it, it seems like a really fun time. It seems like it, it's kind of like an homage to those N64-style collectathons. maybe not as far as like Banjo-Kazooie or Donkey Kong 64, but maybe more in line with like the Mario 64-style collectathon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's a, an excuse to kind of revisit Celeste Mountain in a new format. And they did that a few years ago as well, where they remade certain parts of Celeste in like the in-game video game that exists in Celeste. Yeah, the Pico it like 8. A, yeah, it was like a, an 8-bit version that was uh, pretty neat. But if you want to play Celeste 64 Fragments of the Mountain, you can visit itch.io and download the game for free for PC and Linux. So is there anything else we need to know about this before we uh, take our first break? Uh, no, just know it's great. And it's very there, there's a lot of like funny, cute things that are hidden around that I won't spoil, but it's it's worth exploring. And if you haven't played the original Celeste, definitely check that out. That is on Switch. Yes, that, that is uh one of the better 2D platformers to come out of the last 10 years and uh, well worth your time. And uh, you'll probably want to throw your controller at certain points, but <laughs> you'll also be very, very excited when you finally beat those those uh, challenges. So check out Celeste if you haven't already. Charles, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to be talking all about Mario versus Donkey Kong. We will be right back. We have already chatted about another code recollection, which was the first Nintendo-published game of 2024, but the game we're talking about today feels like the actual first Nintendo game of 2024. That game is Mario vs. Donkey Kong. It is a remake of the 2004 Game Boy Advance game, and Charles, you've been playing it. So uh, for those unfamiliar, talk me about the concept here. Yeah, so uh, uh, this is something I learned while 
uh, doing this preview because I didn't actually really understand the legacy of this game. So it's it's basically a continuation of of that kind of idea and rivalry from the 1981 Donkey Kong arcade cabinet, which is you know Mario, then known as Jumpman, facing off against Donkey Kong. Um, there was a continuation on the Game Boy, the original Game Boy, which was Donkey Kong. They added a bunch of levels that you could play as Mario. A lot of people consider that uh, Donkey Kong 94, a lot of people call it, it is one of the better remakes in gaming history. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was and fantastic. And this, this is like a proper, like it gets its own franchise continuation of that kind of gameplay uh, ideal where you are playing as Mario, you're chasing down Donkey Kong, um, and it's like these short little puzzle platforming levels, um, and it's delightful. Yeah, so we can talk about uh, the early portions of this game. Uh, you've been playing it for review, but we, this is the preview embargo that we're able to cover here. So things that it adds, it adds uh, new cooperative play, obviously new graphics, but also new mu- music. Um, so what what are your early impressions of Mario versus Donkey Kong? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's a, there's a lot more to it than I anticipated i think just looking at stills i kind of assumed it was just uh you kind of pilot mario around and solve puzzles but i didn't understand uh once now that i'm actually playing it i really feel like i appreciate the depth of this puzzle design and it has like a very uniquely nintendo thing of uh, even when the puzzle's not like difficult it's still like super fun to solve and Mm -hmm. and it keeps me fully engaged as i'm doing it um and I really appreciate that. Uh, the main thing that surprised me is there's a lot of jumps. Like Mario can jump, but in this game he's got, I think I just thought it would be, you know, normal standard jump. But you can go, uh, you can do a handstand and you can do a triple jump off of that. Um, and then he's got like a his classic backflip jumps. And there's a yeah. lot of ways you can get like creative with solving the levels uh, if you just use different jumps in different places. Yeah. So I've actually played through the first world as well. So um, I can give my impressions. I, I was I've never played the original. I only played um, Tipping Stars, which was the Wii U and 3DS version. Mm. And I remember that was unique because it had like cross save and I think cross buy, which was very very yeah. Uh, that was revolutionary for Nintendo. I think everybody else had already been doing that for like the past like seven or eight years with like PlayStation and Vita. But uh, that was groundbreaking for Nintendo back in like twenty. 15 or yeah i guess 2015 is when that game came out i think um so i but that's a very different one because like i think that the tipping stars what it does is it was just like you would lay out the path and then you would tell the mini mario toy to walk automatically on the path and you had to make sure that the path was designed in such a way that it would collect the stuff and then like collect the collectibles and then get to the goal Whereas this one, you are in direct control of Mario. You're able to run around yeah. uh, directly controlling him. And, uh, you know, you you can uh, just make it through these puzzles. You can step on switches to change over, like, the different colors of, like, the, the barriers and the platforms and ladders and switches and everything. So there's that. There's also, like, enemies that you have to either take out or jump on top of or avoid. Um, you can throw them. You can throw them at each other, which is always satisfying to clear out the 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 path. Um, there's the hammer, which a lot of people probably know from Super Smash Brothers. It plays yeah. that little little song, but um, 
it is here from the original Donkey Kong game. That was where the, the hammer actually has its origins. And so they carried that forward into this. That's very helpful. And I like that you can kind of combo it together by like, doing the hammer, taking out the enemies and then tossing it up in the air. And you, cause you can't jump with the hammer. So then you can jump up and grab it out of the midair and continue hammering, which um, can come in handy. And uh, yeah, I'm also having a really good time with it so far. And uh, it's, it is a nice throwback. It's not quite like, Oh, well this is just like the original donkey Kong, but there are definitely elements uh, carried over from it. Yeah. I, I think uh, it, it, I can feel the DNA of that, like that type of interaction, that, that gameplay style in here a lot. Um, yeah, another new thing that it has is this uh, casual mode. I don't know if you've messed around with that at all, Brian. No, I haven't. Um, I actually really, really like it. Um, so what it basically does is it uh, it gets rid of a few barriers that make the game. Uh, a little bit harder, and I think in some cases can be frustrating, especially when it gets to like harder levels. Um, but what it does is it gets rid of the timer, so now you don't have to worry about time at all. Okay. Um, and it adds a few checkpoints around the levels and like little checkpoint flags. Um, so basically, it means that uh, if you are playing the level, it kind of eliminates the challenge of um, the platforming element. So if it's like a difficult puzzle to solve because you're having a hard time jumping at the right time or something um that's not going to be as much of a barrier for you uh but the puzzle stays the same so it's never making the puzzle easier it's just giving a a little bit of leniency when you mess up sometimes Mm -hmm. um and i think that's that's like a really smart solution to like modernizing it or making it uh, uh more friendly to like a kid that might get frustrated easily um and I know I definitely had times where I was like, you know, I'm just going to turn on casual mode because I keep dying <laughs> on the same shy guy for no reason. And it'll just make my life easier. Um, and yeah, I, I really I, I I wish there was a way to take this kind of creative solution for like difficulty and accessibility and put it into other games. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think that uh, what it does so well is just kind of like it has you assessing the entire situation of the level. Like, again, I'm very early on, but it's like, you're looking at it and you're like, all right, well, if I hit this switch, that's going to open up this path. But then how do I get over to that path? If this path is blocked off and it does that so well. And there are some very funny animations as well. I was thinking about like, for some reason, the animation of Mario being on like one of like the the poles where you like the the horizontal poles where you mm-hmm. grab onto it and just kind of hang, but then you can start swinging, <laughs> and it looks very normal at first, like just like kind of like a normal video game, like protagonist swinging on a, a a pole, but then he gets going so fast, <laughs> it just looks ridiculous. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I'm I'm having a good time with it so far, and uh, I it sounds like you are as well. Yeah. Yeah. I. I am. I, I went from being like, "Oh, this will be a fun thing to do this week at work," and now I think this is like one of. I, I anticipate this will be in like my top ten this year. Like I'm having a good, a very good time. With oh it. wow! So it's funny because you had mentioned uh, to the Game Informer staff, you're like, "I thought this was just like one of those weird games that people liked for some reason," <laughs> but now I get it. So what was like yeah. the, the the light bulb that went off in your head that like clicked for you? And like, what did you think of like when you met like weird game that people liked for some reason? <laughs> 
Um, I mean, I think I think you're making me sound nicer than I was. I think I said it was a weird old game. People, oh, like, that's right. Yes, reason. weird um, old game. Twenty years ago. <laughs> um, I mean, I think there are some games. Um, I, I mean, I, I can take the original Super Mario Bros. as an example of, uh, at the time, revolutionary. Now it there is a bunch of games that do what it did better because they can look at what it did and kind of like iterate on it and like no one would recommend the original super mario bros to someone now over like a modern mario game um and there's like some like frictions in old games like that where i know if you were around at that time or if you're just used to playing games like that i think that um it's easier to get along with and i think i assumed this game would feel older than it did um but there's a lot of ways that it like uh, uh, I think just the, the puzzle design of um, the fact that you can be creative with it. Like it's not, it's not tying you down of like, you just have to do this one task and it's boring over and over again, or it's weirdly hard for no reason. Um, it's the fact that I'm having fun with every puzzle and also uh, putting these jumping mechanics in like, give me a little bit more control or agency. Like I, I know they did it on purpose, but it kind of feels like a, uh, I, I think it's an interview you did with uh, uh, some of the Zelda guys with like Tears of the Kingdom or Breath of the Wild. Just, just the idea that like it feels good when it feels like you're breaking the game. Like that mm-hmm. feels fun and they know that. So the fact that they introduced the triple jump really early and then later levels, I can be like, oh, I don't have to climb on any of these ropes in this jungle level. I can just triple jump over all this space. Um, and that they leave that in like makes me feel really cool. One of the first things I did after I finished the first few levels, I looked up speed runs of the original games because I was like, were these jumps really always in there? And they were, and the speed runs are very fun. Oh man. I have to check that out because I, I don't know. Some speed runs just annoy me because it's like, Oh, you have to like, like some of the Ocarina of time speed runs just drive me insane. Cause they're like, backwards jumping through like a very specific <laughs> pixel and then suddenly they're warped to Ganon's castle and I'm just like oh my god like this just it doesn't feel like they're actually speed running the game you know yeah. it just feels like they're breaking the game which you know that's that's a different skill all in of itself but with like ones that are just like skillful uses of the tools that they pr- the developers intentionally provide you and you're just breaking the game through just being a master of those tools. Yes. Those are the ones that appeal to me the most. And those can be the most fun to watch, like watching like a Mario world speed run where somebody's just insanely good or even like a Sonic speed run. Yeah, where yeah. It's not really like they're not breaking the game in like a, a technical sense. They're breaking the game just from being so good at it. And those are the ones that I'm, I'm excited for. So I'll have to go check those out because th- that sounds extremely fun, especially with that triple jump that you're talking about, because I, I was doing some fun stuff with it even early on in my, my playthrough. Yeah. And I'm really curious to see like when this game comes out, how those speed runs like compare to the new game. Like if there's stuff you used to be able to do that you can't now, or if like some new ability has been unlocked, I think that'll be uh, really fun. Yeah, for sure. So there are, from what I'm reading on the eShop, more than 130 levels and they are pretty quick hit levels for the mm-hmm. most part. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of content there, including two all-new worlds in this Switch version. So it's not just like a straight remake with like all the same stuff that if you played the Game Boy Advance version you've played before. It looks like there's two completely new worlds full of levels for you to, to play through. Yeah, and they're, and they're not 
one thing I, I didn't even realize until I, I saw which worlds were the new one. They're not just tacked on at the end. They're distributed throughout. So world four, which is, I think, the last world I can talk about, that's one of the new worlds. Um, oh, okay. And they, they just squeeze it in between what used to be three and four. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it'll feel like the, the arc of, you know, completing the levels will feel the same, but they've, they've kind of elongated it, which is cool. That's smart because that means they're not just making like really hard levels and putting them at the end. Yeah. Or they're not just putting like, oh, we made these levels and they're just like bonus worlds at the end. And you're like, oh, I just did these really hard levels. And now it's like kind of like going back down to like a mid-level yeah. world or mid, mid-game world. It's done so well that I didn't even know they were new. Oh, that's nice. great. So this comes to Switch on February 16th, and if anybody listening to this wants to check it out right now, there's actually a demo on the eShop that just hit this week. Uh, we could have included that in the news segment, but we decided to put it here. Um, and Charles, you know I'll probably have you back on in a couple of weeks to deliver your final review once you are able to. So thanks for running this down. Uh, is there anything else we need to know about Mario vs. Donkey Kong before we wrap this segment up? Uh, I don't think so. It's, uh, I guess the thing I would say is one, there's a lot more to this game than I realized. Uh, like you said, 130 levels, that's a lot of stuff. Um, and two, it's running at like the lower, I believe this is a $50 game. Um, yes. 50 American dollars. So it's, it's running at their, their lower price point, which I think is interesting. I'm surprised. I mean, honestly, I thought this was going to be a $40 game. If I, I mean, I looked it up before the show and I was like, Oh, $50. Okay. That's. Maybe $10 more than I was expecting, but I guess, I mean, it's better than $60. It just seemed, I don't know, it seemed like it would be like more of the midpoint instead of like just slightly below standard I think, market. I think the tiers are changing. <laughs> I think 50 is the new 40 in video game prices. Thinking of tiers, Tears of the Kingdom was their first $70 game in many, many yeah. years. So uh, yeah, Mario vs. Donkey Kong out February 16th. We'll talk about it more when we can, probably on the February 16th episode. We are going to take our final break of the episode. When we get back, I'm going to be doing an eShop Gem of the Week. We'll be right back. We are back, and we are going to do an eShop Gem of the Week to wrap up this episode. Charles, it's actually one that we talked about recently, and I know that you are such a diehard 2D Sonic fan. <laughs> this makes sense. But no, this was honestly the reason that I wanted to do this on this episode was because of the Sonic Cross Shadow Generations announcement. Mm -hmm. If people are itching for a little bit of Sonic action and they don't want to actually play a Sonic game, uh, Freedom Planet is a great game to check out on your Nintendo Switch. It is, uh, as I talked about when we were talking about the Freedom Planet 2 trailer that uh, came out a couple weeks ago, uh, it is basically an homage to the classic Sonic games, the 2D Sonic games, but in the, the style of the Sega CD graphics. So think like kind of the visuals that you got in Sonic CD, but in an all new adventure. So this came to Switch in 2018. And as I talked about last episode, there is... Freedom Planet 2 coming out later this year. But basically, you know, it's 2D action platforming, uh, very fast characters. There's three playable characters. They all have different abilities. So there's one character who has like a, a hair whip ability and can spin around in a circle um, or can blast through the sky. There's 
another character who can punch and kick and climb walls. So kind of like the Knuckles character there. Uh, and then there's a third character who can fly short distances and call upon uh, a magic, ma- like magic spells and can throw things at enemies. So they're kind of different archetypes, but not quite the same. Like they're not like one-to-one translations of like Sonic Tails and Knuckles. Right. But it's definitely like they're pulling so much inspiration from it. The art style is really gorgeous. There's some cool boss fights in there. I've, not finished Freedom Planet, but I've played a decent chunk of it, and it's definitely a if if you're a 2D Sonic fan like me, then this is one you should absolutely check out. And you said you you played the beginning of this, right? Or, or I have it, I have it on Wii U. Um, that's I, right. I mostly watched my brother play it. Um, am I right that there's a motorcycle in this game? There is a motorcycle on this yeah. in this game. Um, but yeah, like the the boss battles or the, the the enemies in general. I'm just clicking through some screenshots right here to kind of refresh my memory because it has been a couple months since I've played it. They do look straight out of a Sonic game, especially in those like '90s uh, titles and Sonic CD in particular. Like if you told me like this was like a prototype of Sonic CD, I would believe you because yeah. like the environments are beautiful in that same kind of like uh, glossy. 2d aesthetic that sega cd was so well known for um and the i don't know they these (laughs) these developers definitely played their fair share of sonic um it 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 is like maybe the most one-to-one like sonic homage title Mm -hmm. that i've seen like there's a there's a few franchises that definitely pull heavy inspiration from sonic i think of like there was a game several years back called Action Hank. Did you ever play that? No. I'm going to Google this. It's Hank spelled H-E-N-K. Um, and it was kind of like a, a speed run game Whoa. where like you control a toy and you, you <laughs> okay. run through these different levels at like full speed. And it's it, it, it's not exactly like Sonic, but it is like, oh, they definitely were inspired by Sonic. Yeah. I would argue the best sonic inspired game and this may be controversial yoshi's island whoa if you look at super mario world 2 yoshi's island a lot of that momentum based gameplay feels like they saw some of the stuff that sonic did and wanted to implement it into that i'm not saying it's like a ripoff or anything like that obviously yoshi's island is an amazing title but there are things that like feel like maybe they played a Sonic game and they're like, oh, they're, they're, there's some cool stuff that we could maybe implement into a Mario or Mario adjacent, depending on your stance on Yoshi's Island title. So, I mean, Freedom Planet is definitely up there in terms of the the best Sonic homages, Sonic love letters, uh, if you will. And it's $15, so it's not a, not a, a huge price point to, to worry about. But I do think it's one that a lot of people see the title and they don't immediately associate it with like a Sonic homage. Like I remember I thought Freedom Planet for the longest time was like just like a old school action type side scroller. And then like mm-hmm. I looked more into it and I was like, oh, it's a it's a kind of a Sonic game. OK, well, let me let me buy this immediately. And I did. And I've, I've enjoyed what I've played so far. So that is my eShop gem of the week, Charles. Uh, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Of course. I, I love talking Donkey Kong. And we'll talk more of that in uh, in the coming weeks. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. Do me a favor, if you haven't already, throw all things Nintendo a five-star review and hit that subscribe button. 
you want to get any questions or comments in, you can get in touch with me at allthingsnintendo at GameInformer.com or hit me up on social media at Brian Pichet. You can also join the Game Informer Community Discord, which is a perk for subscribing to our Twitch channel, even just for one month. Charles, where can people find you on the internet? Find me anywhere at ChuckDuck365. That is our show for this week. Thank you again for listening. Take care. We will see you next time. As Mario says, let's-a-go.